Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Joseph Malazzi. Joseph is the showrunner for Dark Matter, uh, an executive producer and a writer. He also worked on Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, and Stargate Universe. Joseph, what's going on, man? Um, I'm on a podcast. (laughs) Uh, I'm also on a podcast, which is great, because if we weren't, uh, who knows what would be going on right now. One of us would just be talking to themselves. So, cool. And uh, tell us, for those, um, I know you're in Canada. You want to tell us where exactly? I'm in Toronto, Canada. Toronto, Canada. East Coast. East Coast. East-ish coast. East-ish coast, as are we in New York as well. So, um, yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about, I mean, we kind of briefly shouted out what you do. What is it? Do you want to just describe really quickly, what is it to be a showrunner? Um, well, uh, it, essentially what, it, what the name implies is you're essentially running the show. So as a showrunner, you oversee prep of the show, the construction of the, you know, the early designs, essentially the early construction of, of, of sets or, or, or what have you. Uh, and then once you start in production, you're overseeing the various uh, prep weeks of the individual episodes. So you're overseeing costumes, you're signing off on casting, you're on set hopefully as much as possible, you're overseeing scripts, you're overseeing the writer's room. Not necessarily, but you should be writing scripts. I, I, I tend to write scripts. I tend to rewrite scripts as well. Once you head into post-production, you're in the editing room, editing with, the, with your editor. Uh, you're overseeing color correct. You're overseeing mixes. Uh, you're overseeing visual effects. So really from start to finish, you are running the show. That to me sounds like a combination of maybe producer roles, some director roles. How does it differ than, than a, a producer or a director? Well, I mean, a director really uh, is the guy you hire. You have a script, and you hire a director really to envision it and bring it to life. So essentially, a director will be hired to come in for for a certain episode or certain episodes, and they will have how many days? Seven to eight days to shoot it. And so basically, they'll be on the floor. They'll be overseeing, you know, the the various shots, the various angles. They're going to make sure that they get all the film they need to tell the story that they've envisioned based on the script. And then they head into the ed- editor's suite and they produce their director's uh, cut, which is based on initial editor's assembly. And then once the director is done and it delivers their director's cut, that's when I come in as a producer and do my edit, my producer's cut. Wow. And for, you know, as TV has become more serialized, have you found that the director role and the showrunner role have, have kind of morphed at all? Like, are shows using more of the same directors to direct multiple episodes now, or is, has that not changed at all? I mean, I think that's always kind of been the case because, it, you know, it, unlike, let's say, a show's producer or the show's writers, directors tend to be hired guns who, you know, come in to shoot an episode or two. And if, if you like them, they come back and, you know, if you form some sort of a relationship with them then they're back for multiple episodes. I mean, in the case of Dark Matter, for instance, in season one, um, I'd done most of my work on the West Coast, uh, on, on Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, Stargate Universe. So I didn't really know any of the East Coast directors, so it was a bit of a learning experience. But there were a few directors that I really enjoyed working with, 
who ended up coming back and and doing multiple episodes. But I mean, it's it's kind of tough for a director, especially if, as I said, you're kind of a hired guy. And if you're not in the regular rotation, you're coming in kind of cold. You read the script, you, you you try to familiarize yourself as much as possible with the show. But once your episode is done, you're going on to other work. Whereas you know the the the, the producer, the showrunner, and the crew remain. So, and we can get into. I definitely want to hear about maybe later on how you got even into the the opportunity to be a showrunner in the first place but if we could and and lately i think uh, we talked about this briefly before the show lately we've been really excited about this how to series we've been doing we would love to do a how to on you as a showrunner could we use dark matter as maybe a template or an example of kind of what it is to be a showrunner absolutely awesome so you know let's start from maybe like the inception of you with Dark Matter, was that an idea that you had and you pitched it? Or at what point did you get brought on? Yeah, I mean, just uh, just kind of preface this by saying uh, I was a creator and showrunner of Dark Matter. And the two obviously aren't necessarily the same thing. In the ideal situation, if you're a creator, if, if you're a creator and you have enough experience, you get to be a showrunner. But what is often the case is if you're a creator with you who doesn't, doesn't have the experience, you may be able to sell the show but you won't be asked to showrun. They'll bring in an experienced showrunner. On the other hand, sometimes, as in the case here lately, as I've been being offered opportunities, uh, I'm being offered opportunities to showrun shows that I didn't create. So in the case of Dark Matter, it was really the best of both worlds. So, I mean, Dark Matter really was, it was uh, an idea I had. I came up with while I was working on Stargate Atlantis many, many years ago. I've always been fascinated by the, uh, the idea of redemption and, and this notion of uh, you know, are you born bad? Or are you a product of your environment? You know, how badly can you screw up? And, you know, I, you know, how far can you go? And how far can, you know, can you work to come back? Uh, so essentially, those were all kind of the themes that, that interested me. And I've always kind of been interested in bad guys and antiheroes, or, you know, in the case of Dark Matter, I think they call them anti-villains. Um, and I basically come up with this idea for a series that I thought I would kind of jump on right after Stargate ended. But of course, Stargate kept, kept on getting picked up. It's so funny. It's, <laughs> see, we, we joined, my, writing, my then writing partner and I, Paul Molly, joined in Stargate SG-1's fourth season. And they said, oh, we'll just go like two more seasons. And then, you know, season five will be the last. And then we got picked up for season six and season seven, season eight. And, <laughs> you know, then we did Atlantis and then we did Universe. So, I mean, the great thing was that by the time we went out with Dark Matter, I had spent so much time with the material that I knew I had a five-year plan in place. I knew the backgrounds of all the characters. I knew the stories I wanted to tell. So it was very satisfying from a storytelling point of view in that since I knew where I was able, where I was headed, I was able to kind of drop little clues and little breadcrumbs along the way that kind of paid off as we went along. But in any case, you know, I, I got my start in, um, uh, in, in development, actually animation development you know, kind of developing programming for, for kids. And, and just from my experience in development, I, I, I just kind of knew that original ideas are kind of a dime a dozen. Unless you're someone like J.J. Abrams, it's so hard to sell an original idea. But everybody loves IP, uh, IP being established properties like books and comic books. And, you know, on the one hand, the argument is, oh, it's a proven commodity. It's already got a built-in audience. And, you know, that's true. On the other hand, I would argue it uh, takes a lot of the onus off executives uh, working or, or, or using their imagination, because frankly, it's a lot easier to just 
point at a book and say, hey, that's a book. Let's do a series based on the book. Right. And then basically if it fails, say, oh, you know, um, you know, it was a book series. How, how were we to know it wouldn't succeed because it already had a built-in fan base? Whereas basically if, you, if you're really taking a chance on an original property, then there is no safety net. Right. You're, you know, th- that's it. So I, knowing that, I, um, you know, I had, I had written the pilot for Dark Matter, and I ended up approaching Dark Horse Comics about turning the first two issues into a four-issue comic book. And, and I spoke to uh, Keith Goldberg and Mike Richardson at uh, Dark Horse, and they loved the idea. And so, we, you know, I, I ended up writing with, with Paul uh, those first four issues of the comic book, and they were collected into a trade paperback. And then when it was, came time to sell the show, Jay Firestone, who's the president of Prodigy Pictures, went out and really hustled. And he had the, you know, every, every show has like a pitch package. You go in and you pitch what the show is about. And, and you know, you're creating the vision for these executives. But a lot of the time, executives have a very hard time envisioning the show, or they will envision the worst possible execution of your vision, which is why <laughs> it was great to have a comic book there. So essentially, you, you, you make the pitch, you drop off the comic book, and they can like look through the comic books, and they can see, and they can get it. Right. So, you know, Jay uh, really hustled and put together the financial package that allowed us to do Dark Matter. So, so you know, we got the green light, and... Um, you know, I created the series. I developed it with my longtime writing partner, Paul Molly. But, I, you know, he has family in Vancouver, so he didn't want to come to Toronto. So I came to Toronto and, and was a showrunner. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, as a showrunner, you oversee all prep, the construction of the ship, everything from, you know, what the ship looked like, what the windows out the front of the bridge looked like, which, you know, were kind of unique, I think, in our show to the, uh, the, the color of the paint in the quarters, uh, the different costumes. And then when we got into casting, casting was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, uh, uh, one of the lessons I took away from Stargate was, was how important kind of an underlying sense of humor is in, in allowing audiences to connect with characters. And so one of the things I wanted to make sure when we were auditioning was that everybody was kind of funny in a different way or was able to deliver the humor, which they were. And, uh, you know, that was it. I mean, I oversaw prep, we oversaw the casting, and then we, we started to get into production. I mean, I did a writer's room. It was essentially, it was a very small writer's room. It was me, my writing partner, Paul Molly, and a former Stargate executive producer, Martin Garrow, who um, is, uh, is, is actually kind of a golden boy in Hollywood right now. He, he had deception on the air. He has blind spot on the air. He's selling a whole bunch of pilots. But, you know, I, I, I told him I got the show picked up and he said, you know, I'd love to come down and do the room with you guys. And so he did. And we ended up breaking all 13 stories for the series in, in like two, two and a half weeks, which is kind of unheard of. And then, uh, you know, we went off and wrote. And, and for those first, you know, the show's three seasons on the air. That's the way it worked. I would oversee the room. I, uh, I wrote half the episodes. I rewrote all the scripts just because the material was just so kind of personal and close to me. And, and the characters were so, you know, I had, I had all, all the voices in my head that I would always have to make the adjustments on the page. And then, um, you know, I, I don't know how much you know about sort of the way television production works. But for instance, it's, it's a staggered schedule. So, uh, for instance, we're going to shoot episode one. And the, we, we hire the director and he comes in and the first week you start off with a concept meeting where all the department heads and the director get together in a room and you go over the script from page one to the end. 
and you talk about every scene, you know, what kind of a prop, what kind of a gun, what outfit is he going to wear here? What kind of, where are we going to shoot this? What kind of location, what kind of stunts? So everybody knows what they're doing. And then we go off and during that week, while the director prepares his shot list, you know, we're, we're taking meetings with the department heads. We go down to costumes, we see how they're coming along, what they're, what they're creating. We do the auditions for the, for, you know, whoever the guest stars are. And then at the end of prep week, we have the production meeting, which is kind of the same as the concept meeting. We all sit, you know, all the department heads and the director get together. We sit down, we go through the script from beginning to end. But in this case, you know, we all know where we're going, what we have to do. And it's just an opportunity to make sure we're all on the same page. And then that's when we get into production. So once you get into production for episode one, while episode one is shooting, episode two goes into prep. Interesting. So I'm always in prep. You know, I try to get on set as much as possible, but between um, prep and the fact that I would do all the rewrites myself, I didn't really get to be on set as much as I would have loved to, but I, you know, I had a great onset producer, Ivan Bartok, who was on set to make sure, you know, we got what we needed. I mean, all the directors were great. Uh, you know, they, they were all professional. They knew what I needed from, from those initial meetings. So, you know, it, it, it dark matter was a very smoothly run, uh, uh, machine. I would say it reminded me of Stargate in many respects that, um, you know, Paul and I joined Stargate in, in the sg ones fourth season, and they'd gotten to the point where they had worked out all the kinks and gotten rid of all the uh, unhappy elements, shall we say. <laughs> so that basically everyone was, re- you know, it was a, such a supportive atmosphere, and it was fantastic. It was such a great experience. And then right on the heels of Stargate, we ended up going on to another show that was a less than ideal experience. So, you know, having learned from, like, the, the two polar extremes, I made sure that Dark Matter was, like, a positive set. People were happy to be there. And, you know, I, I hate to say it's, like, atypical, but a lot of the time you hear these horror stories in, in, you know, in Hollywood, you know, crew being abused and, and, and directors or producers who are jerks and yelling and, and just making, like, miserable and 16-, 17-hour days. And that was not us at all. Um, you know, it was a really happy, uh, set experience. And that, and that's one of the things that actually I kind of missed the most. The fact that, you know, we were kind of in the end, like one big happy family. And when the cancellation kind of happened and took everybody by surprise, you know, we were trying to do kind of this last ditch effort to save the show. But I just told people, I'm like, look, don't turn down work because this is not guaranteed. And so it took months until finally we learned we weren't coming back. And then, of course, I heard that everybody waited because they just were kind of hoping against hope that we would be able to come back. Wow. But sadly, we were not. Would you mind if I break what you just described down into kind of little no. segments so we can kind of dive into it? Starting with the pilot, how does one go about writing a pilot? Um, obviously, I'm assuming you'd written pilots before. How does a pilot differ than, say, you know, a normal, like a f- feature-length screenplay you might write? Like, what's, what's you know, the format? What's, how does it differ? And, and what, how do you go about it? Whenever writers look at getting into script writing, they think like the golden egg is film. They want to write a movie. But the fact is that writers have very little power in film. First of all, it's incredibly hard to break into the business writing for for film. Second of all, even if you do, uh, a lot of the time you're treated like, I mean, the writer on film is not afforded much respect. So essentially they're lucky if they're even allowed on set. And a lot of the times they're, they're, they tend to be uh, rewritten. Uh, whereas in television, I mean, whereas, whereas film is a director's game, 
TV is very much a writer's game. So you'll see guys like Chuck Lorre who will create, they'll write, and they will show run a show. Um, and, and that's really the goal. That's where you want to end up. The, the idea that basically you're, you create something and you are in charge. And that's what a showrunner does. So in, in, in the case of a pilot, I mean, just from the very beginning, uh, if you're trying to get into television, you know, the, the, the people always suggest to write two scripts. One is, a, you know, a spec sample, meaning take a show that you like and write a sample script based on the show so that you, you demonstrate that you can capture right. voices of existing characters. And the other way, uh, the other thing you should do is write an original pilot. And a pilot, original pilot, of course, is an idea that you have a first episode for an original series that you have in mind. So that, that's what Dark Matter was. And, uh, you know, and, and then you go out and, and, and try to pitch it, you try and get an agent. I mean, th that's kind of the traditional way. I, I entered the biz through a non-traditional uh, means, and, and this is one that I recommend. To, uh, to any writers looking to break in is to uh, try and get your foot in the door writing for animation uh, because they tend to be more receptive to new writers. Interesting. The format, the script writing format is exactly the same. I mean, you know, animation, you, you, it'll be like 11-minute episodes. Sometimes it'll be, you know, 22-minute episodes. Sometimes it'll be, you know, longer. But really, the format is very, very much... But the, the the same format as 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 writing for television, like writing for drama. So you know, it really allows you to hone your craft. It forces you to think visually, and you get paid. Most importantly, <laughs> so I mean that that's what I did. I, mean, I got my foot in the door, freelancing for animation, and then I worked my way up to uh, developing animation, to story editing animation, and then ultimately when I made the transition to live action sitcom like a teen sitcom, a show called Student Bodies. Uh, I, I, uh, you know, I, I, I did that for, for, for a season, but, but still kept doing animation. It's actually kind of funny, but now that, you know, looking back that I spent so many years in animation, built a career in animation, but that I actually had to take a pay cut to, trans to, wow. to, to take the uh, SG-1 job. Um, but I mean, obviously it was, a right, it, was a right, it was a right choice. So, I mean, that's how I did it. I mean, there are very ways, ways to go about it, but I, I mean, you know, I, I think for me, if I had to give anyone advice on how to break in, that's the advice I would give. Just I find it the easiest way you get to learn, you get to make money, and hopefully you make, you know, uh, connections along the way. It's funny that, you know, like a number of the executives that I work with uh, back in my animation days are now big time executives at various live action companies. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, you never know where people are going to end up. And as far as the pitch process, I'm assuming the pilot is written before the pitch. It really depends. Okay. There, there are certain places, I mean, you'll, you'll hear, uh, you know, advice either way. You know, a lot of companies prefer not to have the pilot because they want to be involved uh, in the creation of the show. Okay. So if they like an idea, they'll, 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 they'll pick it up and they're going to be, want to be involved in developing the show. On the other hand, some of them prefer to see a pilot script so they can see, actually see all this stuff you're pitching. In fact, given the choice, I always prefer to write the pilot simply because proof is really in that script. Also the fact that um, really as a writer, you have to have three strengths. You really, 
you have to be able to come up with great ideas, you have to be able to pitch well, and you have to be able to write well. And a writer who is able to do all three of those things will be a huge success. But the fact is, not everybody, in fact, I would say hardly anybody is good at all those three. <laughs> I, I think I'm a good idea guy. I think I'm a good writer, but I don't think I'm an especially strong pitcher. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it kind of hamstrings me a bit because, uh, you know, you, you, you see a lot of, um, you read like Deadline and, and you'll see like, oh, you know, this, this writer gets a, gets a series deal or this writer is, is working on like a, like a, a writing a movie. And you're like, how is it possible that this writer is writing a movie or writing a series with like little to no experience? And it's just because they're fantastic pictures. And that's great if they can deliver the goods. Sometimes they can. And then other times they can't because it's, you know, you know, all sizzle and, and, uh, and really nothing much else. But I mean, at the end of the day, you got to try and, and be as, you know, as, as skillful as possible on all three. And obviously, Dark Matter got picked up, so the pitch must have been pretty good. Uh, was there an art to writing the pitch? Uh, not really. I mean, basically, what I did, just because Dark Matter, one of the things that I really wanted to set out to do with Dark Matter was create a show where every episode would, would end with one of those WTF moments where you're like, holy crap, I can't wait to get to the next right. episode. And really, I took my cue from uh, a lot of the, frankly, dramatic cable shows I, I, I love, like The Sopranos, but especially a show like The Shield, which um, I think is greatly underappreciated and had one of the biggest holy crap moments at the end of the pilot. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen The Shield, so I'm not going to spoil it for you, but that last beat at the end of the pilot just shocked me to no, no end. And I wanted to create. A, uh, a series that really had an impactful beat and that, uh, in, at the end of the pilot that kind of propelled the series. So really, I'd sat with this show for so long that I knew the show inside out and I knew that pilot inside out. So really, you know, um, the pitch was the pilot. These, these, these six individuals wake up with no memory of who they are, how they get on board. There's no information on board the ship. The, the data has been wiped and they end, end up unearthing some information with regard to like a planet. They figure the planet will provide them with answers. They go there. It's a mining colony that, that uh, you know, essentially tells them you, you better get out of here because the Razas are on the way. And, and they tell them the Razas are this, this race of alien, uh, you know, these lizard creatures that are rumored to you know, work for the corporations. And, uh, and ultimately, at the end of the episode, they find out that the Raza isn't the name of an alien race, it's the name of their ship, and that they weren't, you know, sent there to help these people, they were sent there to kill them. And, you know, we, we end the episodes with the revelation that these people are the worst of the worst. And how are we going to move forward? Or how are they going to move forward from there? Uh, and, and so, you know, that pilot, that pilot pitch really captured uh, Keith Goldberg's Im imagination of Dark Matter. He loved it. And then when Jay went out and pitched the pilot, um, you know, the, the various broadcasters responded. So, um, you know, if, if you can tell a, a, a tight story, hopefully in like, you know, maybe 15 minutes, you know, give them the hook, uh, tell them what the series will be about, uh, and, uh, you know, and excite them, then, then, you know, you're, uh, you're, 
halfway there. When you left the pitch, you're walking down the hallway. Were you like, I got that? Or were you like, oh, I don't know? You know, I never actually went in to pitch. I got it. Okay. did a phone pitch. And, you know, I was genuinely excited about the material. I mean, in the past, I'd gone into pitch, and I've done that where you go in and you pitch, and you're kind of nervous, right. and, and, you know, they have questions. But in the case of Dark Matter, I just knew the show. And basically, I knew it would be a fantastic show. And so I guess I had that confidence going in, and I knew it inside out. So whenever I would do the pitch, I guess it would pick up on my excitement. And yeah, every time I would finish the pitch, I'd be like, that went so well. And if they don't pick up the show, that's on them. (laughs) There it uh, is. You know, I guess you have to have a certain confidence and confidence in the material to go in and, and, and pitch effectively. I love that. So yeah, moving on to the next phase, I guess. You get the you get the gig, right? Somebody somebody picks it up. You're now making the show. So they're like, okay, cool, you created this. Do they then decide right away that they want you to be the showrunner? Or what's that kind of like deciding factor that you also are gonna be the showrunner? Well, in the case of Dark Matter, contractually, I I was a showrunner. If the show got picked up, okay. Uh, since I created the show, I made sure that that was in, in my contract and and you know, it, again, it's not always the case, but you know Given my experience now, I think I'm at a kind of a level where I don't think I would pitch anything in which I would not be the showrunner. Um, so, yeah, that was it. I mean, the show got picked up and, and Jay called me to tell me, OK, this is how much money we're going to have for the show. Um, and for a sci-fi uh, series, it was not a lot. In fact, it was, I think, probably less than most of the shows on sci-fi. And yet we, you know, we produced on the page, we ran a really efficient production and we had a great visual effects supervisor, Lauren Bancroft Wilson, and ensured that, you know, in the first season we did more ship-based episodes, but we built our library of visual effects shots so that by the second season, you know, those visual effects were, were amazing. And the third season, you know, they were even better. So, I mean, as, as you go on in the show, you kind of bank visual effects shots, you bank uh, sets. So, you know, thing, you know, the show just gets bigger as time goes on. Right. Were there a particular number of episodes guaranteed at first, or did you do a pilot first? How, how do you decide how many? No, um, it, it really differs, in, in, you know, from production to production. But in our case, we were picked up for a 13 episode first season. Wow. So you instantly, it's just, okay, cool, we got to make these. And are you then plotting out, like you have the pilot, how are you plotting out from pilot to are you then choosing, okay, this is how I want to end the season, so let's work backwards from there, or how do you... Well, I mean, as I said, I mean, we've been sitting on, on, on kind of the concept or, or these characters, the series, for like, honestly, at least five years. So, you know, by the time we got picked up, I knew, I knew who all the characters were, I knew all their backstories, I knew every episode of season one, and I knew the arcs for each of the five seasons I wanted to tell, like, see, you know, season one begins with them finding out they're criminals and appropriately enough ends with them all being carted off to prison. You know, season two uh, begins with them making the decision to, you know, try and make a difference, try to do good. And then at the end of season two, it blows up spectacularly in their faces. You know, quite literally three is, you know, explores this notion of redemption. The fact that one of their own is turned against them and ultimately will he be redeemed or not at the end Season four was going to be about the, um, 
the alien invasion and, and season five was going to deal with the Android uprising. And uh, I even had actually the last sequence and the final scene planned. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I had everything planned out. So it was most frustrating to kind of have the rug pulled out from underneath us with, uh, you know, three out of the five planned seasons uh, completed. And then going back to the, the the next step, which I imagine would be casting, are you involved? Would you yes. be working with a casting director? How does that work? Yeah, so essentially what, what, what happens is uh, the script goes out, or in the case of Dark Matter, because we were in such a good shape, we'd actually gone out and we had most of the scripts done, I was able to actually select the best scenes for each character from across whatever those oh, wow. first nine or ten written episodes, completed episodes. And, uh, you know, we, we send out a breakdown, uh, which the casting director writes up, you know, we're looking for, you know, uh, male uh, character, um, uh, you, know, um, all, you know, all ethnicities uh, between the ages of 30 to 45 and a description of the character. They send it to me and I'll make any ch- changes and then send it back. And then, you know, we, we, we they, they go out and you know, send, send the breakdowns to the various agencies and the agencies, you know, send in their, their, uh, their various talent. And then the casting director whittles them down and brings them in for auditions. And so we ended up looking at, I don't know, I mean, for, for the, in, in the case of two, the character of two, the role that uh, was actually um, played by Melissa O'Neill, we, had, we ended up looking at close to 250 wow. candidates. So it was really interesting. We tried to, you know, open it up as much as possible. The character of the android uh, in the comic book originally it was male, but we looked at both male and female. Uh, and the case of Ryo Ishida, who uh, the character of four, uh, who was male in the comic book, we opened up to all ethnicities and, and genders. Uh, so, I mean, we tried to sort of, you know, keep it as as open as possible and and just, you know, selected the, the you know, the, the best people, the best fit. Does uh, a person or an actor's, um, I guess, acclaim tie into that? Are you kind of like trying to lean between talent versus name value? Or are you just like, I don't care. I'm just going for whoever the best actor is. If you're asking me personally, yeah, I don't care. I've never wow. cared about stunt casting. And, and I, I'm frankly, I guess, a rarity. Because most producers, they're basically will, you know, bend over backwards to get a name or... Right. You know, when you're trying to set up a show, in fact, that has a lot to do with it. it's called packaging, where basically, you know, your show is not going to get picked up unless you have a big name director attached or, a, you know, a big name actor attached. And a lot of the times it's, it's you know, neither here nor there. I don't think it really adds value. Um, but, you know, one of the things, that, you know, I love about Dark Matter is that for the most part, you know, I wouldn't say they were a cast of unknowns, but they were all big name actors. But they were also I think fantastic and and so perfect for the roles. And then, as far as that next step, you cast the actors. Now it's about, I guess, pre production, right? Getting in that first yeah. starting to shoot. And are and you said you're planning basically shooting an episode at a time, and then it's staggering, right? So that first pre production week, what does that look like? Well, I mean, pre production actually starts a couple of months before then because okay. you want to get the ship built, and that's going to take a while. You you work in conjunction with your production designer. In the case of uh, Dark Matter, was a, there's a guy called Ian Brock, who was brilliant, just really brilliant at, 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 at making 
a little look like a lot. So essentially, he would he would he would visit these industrial sales and and purchase like re kind of like um, you know sort of plastic sheetings for like five cents a ton, and then he would incorporate those into like uh, sets, and the textures would and would look so wild and 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 cool and. You know, so, you know, you want someone like that on board, you know, who has kind of an artistic sensibility and an ability to basically, uh, you know, uh, envision what's on the page and, and, and kind of, you know, and, and you're on, on, you know, on the sidelines there to kind of help him uh, bring it to life. So, you know, you, you would get together, um, you know, he would basically design, let's say he would, he would get a concept designs of the ship. He would uh, look at, you know, what are our standing sets? Our standing sets are our, uh, our bridge, our underbelly, our quarters, our shuttle, our mess hall, our uh, training room, and our corridor. And so over the course of those first couple of months, you know, they, you know, they build them, uh, the paint, you know, they paint them. And once that's done, then true prep begins. You know, we, we, we you know, get in the room and we actually start gearing towards, uh, you know, principal photography. In the case of Dark Matter, we would do seven days of main unit and two days of second unit, meaning, uh, you know, main unit would be the, uh, you know, our, our, our main director with main, main cast and the big scenes. And second unit would be kind of smaller scenes of, you know, a, a second unit director who's usually John Stead, our, um, our a stunt coordinator. And he would shoot the, uh, you know, kind of the smaller scenes, the, you know, you know, the, the one or two hander scenes with like you know, a character or two, uh, you know, either talking or, you know, in the training room, you know, special mention about to John Stead though. He was, he was our, our, our uh, stunt coordinator. He did our second unit. And, you know, one of the marks I think of a really good director is their ability to capture the small moments. Uh, and I mean like kind of those, those kind of those looks or those exchanges that, you know, they don't seem like much on the page, but they go such a long way towards establishing character and the, the type of instances that, that, that audiences love. And I, I noticed that, you know, he did a great job of doing that in second unit. He ended up, I uh, ended up giving him uh, his first big directing gig on the show. And he ended up directing an episode each season. And he turned out to be like, actually one of our best directors. I thought, you know, he, he, he did a really amazing job. Wow. And what you just described is for planning one episode, right? For shooting one yeah. episode. Is there a reason why, I imagine obviously when you're actually shooting the episode, you're um, organizing the scenes you have to shoot based on, I would imagine, like location, right? So if you yeah. have a few yeah. few scenes all in the, the bridge or whatever, or in the hallway, it's all in the hallway. Um, yeah. is, there a exactly. is there a reason why you wouldn't, and I guess it's maybe because you have different directors, but for different episodes, why you wouldn't like be like, here's all the all the scenes in the hallway for the whole season. Let's just, from an efficiency standpoint, let's knock all those out now. Is there a reason hey, why you don't do it in that way? or A, uh, because it would be exhausting <laughs> for the production, basically, to do a, uh, a, a concept meeting across 13 episodes. Uh, I mean, some shows w- will do, like, two-episode blocks, which are, okay. you know, are, you know and, and some, I mean, will do, like, you know, I've heard, like, of some, some like, kind of, you know, smaller run shows doing, like, six six episode blocks. Um, but I mean, you know, you risk ex- exhausting your, uh, your cast, uh, your crew. And, uh, you know, in, in a perfect world, you can shoot a, an episode chronolo- uh, chronologically, right? From right. beginning to end. But, 
realistically, from a production standpoint, it doesn't really make sense. So you end up doing what, what exactly you said, where all the bridge scenes are, are shot on one day, all the mess hall scenes are shot on a, on a certain day, or you marry them together, or you find a location where, let's say, you, you want to shoot in a park, but at the same time, you have a coffee shop scene. So, you know, you, the location uh, manager will go out and will say, well, we found a park, but we don't. We haven't found a coffee shop, but there's this library here. So, you know, it, it's it's you know, you, you have to take it upon yourself to rewrite the scene. So instead of a coffee shop scene, it's a library scene. Like little things like that are are what you know are are, are asked of a showrunner to ensure that that a production runs smoothly. Got it. And then as this uh, your schedule becomes staggered, you're having to kind of oversee obviously the production. But you're also planning for the next episode, the pre-prep. Yeah. Um, how are you balancing all those things at once? Um, that's a very good question. I mean, do you have it, like a, an assistant or somebody who's like managing that, helping you manage that? Or yeah, I, I guess it really depends on the show. I mean, I, I Dark Matter was my creation, so I wanted to be kind of all over it. So I mean, like I said, I wrote half the episodes, but I would also rewrite all the all the scripts that came in, and then when we get into production. For reasons like you know we just discussed there was if there were location snafus or 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 what have you uh i would do those rewrites as well i really what it is 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 you just need to find an onset producer that you can trust just because and and just be able to sit down usually you know in prep week you also do something called a tone meeting with the director where you sit down and you go through the the script page by page and you say you know this is how i envision this scene these are the important moments. Make sure you get this. Make sure you get that. And uh, and so you know you, you have to be able to you know defer. The mark of a really good showrunner isn't how much they do, but how much they trust others to do for them. And uh, and even though I was all over those scripts, you know my department heads and the directors I worked with, my onset producer, my visual effects supervisor were so good, and I got what I needed because they were so good at what they did. And then also, obviously, that trust your, um, allows you to free up your time so you can start working on the next episode and the next episode. And, um, exactly, yeah. And then how do you maintain a consistent, uh, well, I guess, vibe, mood, aesthetic? Like, How do you maintain that? I assume that's a big part of your role is making sure that point A, episode one, matches the last episode, right? Yeah, I mean, you know... I, I mean, that's really the reason why I did all the rewrites myself, because I had a sense of what I wanted the tone of the show to be. And I envisioned how the, the voices of each of the actors um, and the characters. Uh, and, and so, I mean, you know, otherwise we would come in and write scripts and they did really good jobs. But there was always, you know, little subtle nuances that, that you know, I, I you know, I, I needed to massage into the scripts. Um, so, I mean, it, it was just a matter of like, I guess you could call it quality control. And, you know, as I said, since, since Dark Matter was my baby, it, 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 it really, I mean, it was challenging, but it was never really exhausting, you know? And like I said, uh, we, we did our 11 hour days. Our, our line producer, Norman Denver was, was really good about that, ensuring that, you know, the schedule made sense that we do our 11 hour days. Usually, you know, most productions are, are, are longer. Sometimes they head into 16, 17 hour days, but we never did. So the crew always knew that when, you know, when they would come in, you know, for the day, they would leave at a reasonable hour. They would be able to see their families. For the most part, their weekends were free. You know, they could spend time with their families and they appreciated that. And that is what kind of led to the 
you know, overall kind of sense of, of you know, the, the positive vibe on the show. Right. And as far I was just going to ask about that, too, because like you said, historically, there can be, like you said, um, a lot of negativity talked about on yeah, sets yeah. and that kind of thing. So how do you how do you keep morale up? What is the secret to it? The secret is uh, proper planning and uh, experience. And I cannot tell you, I mean, I hear horror stories about other productions where they're in prep and they don't have a script and they're prepping off an outline, wow. which quite frankly is a recipe. For um, let's just say, bull. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's completely disrespectful to the crew. I mean, just get your ass together. Um, so, you know, just plan, you know, give people time to prepare. And if you give people time to prepare, things run smoothly. Uh, also experience as well. Um, you know, I've, I've heard of other big name showrunners who have never showrun before, but their names, so they get to showrun coming on board and just blowing the budget, not knowing how production works. And in one uh, instance, actually being banned from set, which is like a first I ever heard of a showrunner being banned from their own set. Oh, wow. Um, would you say in all of your time uh, as a showrunner, is there one particular day that stands out that's, that you can just think about right now that, that is representative of the day in the life of a showrunner? Like something like, oh, that day I was doing this, 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 and this, and I got it all done. <sighs> or does it all just blend together? It kind of does blend together. I mean, there are little instances of, you know, like, you, you know, I, I remember the, the, you know, the, uh, our, our, uh, the moment we wrapped season one of the show. And, uh, I think it was a Jodell Furlin scene and, uh, and her kind of hugging the, the, the ship, you know, the walls of the corridor saying she didn't want to go. Um, instances where, uh, guest stars would come up to me and say, you know, I've worked on so many shows and I got to say, you know, you have such a great cast and crew here. It's such a great working environment. I, you know, that I always appreciated. Um, I always appreciated the fact that whenever uh, guests came on the show, I mean, a lot, a lot of productions are kind of, you know, the no, no photo, no, right. no guest type of policy, which I always find kind of bull. Uh, personally, but, uh, you know, whenever we would have guests, like, uh, you know, outsiders come in, like friends or family, the cast would always be super friendly and welcoming, especially Anthony Lemke, who played uh, Three, uh, who, uh, you know, I, I look back at, you know, the show, and when after the episode two, he was universally despised, so much so that I thought I'd made a huge error. But by the end of season three, he was one of the most beloved characters, which I kind of love. The fact that we kind of re rehabilitated him, which was kind of the whole point. Wow. But he's a guy who would come out of his chair whenever we'd see someone new and introduce himself and, you know, talk to them and you know, ask them questions about, them, about themselves and make them feel like they were special. And, you know, those are the moments that stand out for me. Those kind of more human moments, I guess. And then as far as... Um the season ends, at what point do you know you're definitely going ahead with the next season? You know, you don't really know for sure until maybe a, a month or so after when you actually get the official pickup. I mean, after season one, I felt pretty good because, I mean, we did, I thought, quite well. And then we got that, uh, that first season pickup, actually, maybe that week afterward. 
uh, after our, our last episode aired. And then season two, I think they made us wait a little longer, like a month, but we finally got the pickup. And then season three, frankly, I think we were like with the third most watched show on sci-fi. So I was fairly, and we, you know, sci-fi basically, it's a, it's a fan thing. That's their, that was their motto. Right. And basically they talked about the fact that they were, you know, uh, focusing on sci-fi. And I thought, well, this is perfect. We're, we're like the, one of the, probably the cheapest show for them to produce. We do really well for them and we're introducing aliens. I mean, what more <laughs> do they want? And of course, then they canceled us. So, you know, that kind of was a, a bit of a, uh, a bit of a blow, but uh, you know, such is the business. And then you bounce back, which brings me to my next question, which is what are you working on now? What do you like? What's the future have in store? I feel like saying, what am I not working on? I mean, <laughs> you know, you're, you know, I was very happy to be in production on, on dark matter just because uh, if you're not in production, you're usually in development and in development can mean anything from developing your own things to developing other people's projects in conjunction with other production companies. So I mean, at one point I listed all the things I kind of had in the works and I listed like, I think almost like 14, 15 projects in play, everything from writing, you know, I was hired to write a pilot. I was hired to write, to rewrite a series overview. I was, I was hired to come up with a pitch for, for, for a project. I was hired to adapt a book. Uh, I was hired to adapt a comic book. I mean, so many things. And people always say, oh my gosh, there's, you have so many things on the go. What if they, you know, they all go at the same time? And, you know, my response to that is, if you're in the industry, you would know that the truth, the sad truth is that, you know, you're lucky if maybe one of those things go. Right. So, you know, the, those original 18 things over time have dwindled, dwindled down to about, I think, now eight kind of more solid things that have come a long way. I, uh... I've been offered a showrunning gig for a sci-fi series, which is kind of not my own, which kind of we're, you know, I'm in discussions about, which, you know, if I, if, if we work out a deal, I'll be announcing in, in the next couple of weeks. But in the meantime, I'm, I'm working on an adaptation of a comic book series uh, written by a, a comic book writer I, I, I love, but I can't reveal now uh, who that is, uh, but hopefully that will be revealed soon. I'm working on the adaptation of a horror novel for a horror author, who I, uh, I'm a huge fan of. Um, I just delivered a script, a sci-fi series for Space Channel here in Canada. Uh, and they'll be deciding on that in, in the coming month or so. I'm, uh, I'm working on a Supernatural series. I'm, I just optioned a Supernatural pilot. Just going over my head. I'm working on a procedural and yeah, preparing a pitch for a procedural. And actually looking to, to possibly do a couple of comic books. And uh, one of which hopefully would be the continuation of, uh, of the Dark Matter storyline, seasons four and five, just to give fans closure. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, those are, you know, the, what did I say, eight things that are on the go, what lands and, you know, what comes to fruition. Your guess is as good as mine. Joe, you both just inspired me and made me so incredibly tired listening to all <laughs> the things that you do. I don't know how you yeah. have time to do it, which leads me to... The first, mm. the first of what we call a, a series of seemingly random questions. And the first one is, based on those things you just listed, where yeah. do you find time to relax? Um, you know, my relaxation is reading. So whenever I go to LA, people ask, so what shows are you watching? And the truth is, you know, when you're in production, you don't watch that much TV. But even now that I'm in development, I just prefer to read. And I read like crazy. I, 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 
I set aside maybe at least three hours a day to read. I'm, I'm, I think I'm at 250 books on the year, which is like a crazy amount, but a quarter of them are graphic novels. Um, and you know, when we were on Stargate, I didn't golf. I, I, I kind of preferred reading because it was a hobby that I felt, um, you know, w- was a productive hobby in that I think reading helps me be a better writer, but it also allows me to source out material. If I want to look for books to adapt, it's, it's like endless research. So reading is my, uh, you know, is my unwinding time. There it is. Um, Next question. Uh, this is again. These are seemingly random questions. Yeah. If you could have dinner with any writer, living or dead, who would you choose and why? Hmm. You know, I was a big Harlan Ellison fan. So, uh, and uh, he was a cantankerous sort, a colorful fellow. <laughs> he would have been uh, a blast. Uh, in 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 kind of a similar vein, although his, his writing was very different. Anthony Bourdain was uh, wow. was. Yeah kind of a colorful individual as well. And then, you know, I being a foodie as well. Um, I, I loved his books. He was another guy I would have loved to have sat down and, and, and uh, had dinner with. Next question. Um, did anyone at any point in your career uh, tell you that, you know, you shouldn't or you couldn't do what you set out to do, which is, in, you know, based on where you it, are now? Interestingly enough, my mother, growing up when I would tell her I wanted to be a writer, she would say, you know, well, you know, writing isn't really a career. I mean, it's something people, it's a hobby that people do on the side. So maybe you can be a lawyer or a journalist <laughs> right on the side. But you just were like, you know what? I'm going for it. Yeah. But it, it's funny, like, even to this day, I mean, uh, she still gets nervous because, I mean, this, 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 this career is such a feast or famine. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, existence. But, I mean, between Dark Matter and, and Stargate, you know, I, I, the dogs are not going to starve. I have these two uh, uh, small dogs who are not going to starve. So I think I'm going to be okay if I take a couple of years <laughs> off more. I, uh, you know, I'll, you know, I'll be okay. But it's funny, like, you know, whenever I talk to her, she's always like, "Oh, what's what's going on? You know, do you have a job yet? Uh, what's your next show?" So funny. Parents will be parents. Yeah. Doesn't matter how many uh, shows you show run for major uh, TV networks. You just gotta. Um, so True. next question. Do you have any words of wisdom, just blanket words of wisdom for uh, the writers listening? Just like one piece of advice that stands out that you could shout out. One piece of advice. I mean, I give you the advice about getting your foot in the door in animation. Um, I guess, you know, it, it's, it's easy to say, much harder to do, but really have confidence in yourself and your abilities. I mean, it, and, and, I think it's, it's almost a subconscious psychological thing, but if you go in and you're not confident and you have that kind of air of desperation, there's kind of that sense of weakness that people will pick up on. But if you know your stuff, you know, if you know your show, if you feel confident, go in, pitch your heart out. And if they don't like it, don't take it personally. Um, they're missing out. Uh, you know, just, just go back home, you know, look over the pitch. If, if you felt that, you know, you could have done something better the next time, kind of rehone your pitch and come back. But just, you know, a lot of this industry is, is, is really a having confidence in your ability and B just being able to, to really, you know, stick it out. Just, you know, it, kind of that, that fortitude of, of, you know, to, to, you know, not give up no matter how uh, desperate, 
the times may seem. Last question. What is something about your career that nobody knows? A career that nobody knows. I always say this is a stumper. Huh. Well, people know that I'm, you know, as a huge reader, I read books, I read graphic novels, I'm a huge comic book fan. One of the things I would love to do is write for comic books. I'm not talking about original ideas. I would like to write for DC's Booster Gold, Batman, maybe Marvel's, you know, I've always been a Deadpool fan way back in the Joe Kelly days. Uh, you know, when it, I would love to write one of the, you know, big two titles. So that, that is one of the, my aspirations. You know, I, you know, I, I've created a TV show. I, I show run. Uh, I have like, what was it? 350 hours of produced television to my name, a hundred as a showrunner, a hundred, you know, uh, as a writer. But one thing that I haven't done yet that I would love to do is write for either DC or Marvel. Wow. There you go. That's my big reveal. Great answer. Love that. Uh, and I hope you do. Thank you. And, Put and in a good word for me. <laughs> for sure. And then, uh, you know, we'll have you back on here when you're, uh, when awesome. you're ready to rock. So yeah, based on that, uh, I guess that's about it. Do you want to shout out, you know, your Twitter handle, anything you want to plug at all or. Yeah. Actually, if you're, uh, if you're on Twitter, you can, uh, follow me. I'm Baron Destructo. Easy enough. And, uh, I actually have a blog that I've been, I've been blogging for close to 11 years now. I haven't missed a day and I'll cover everything from production to aspects of my life. And you just do a search for my name, Joseph Malazzi, and it'll probably be the first thing that pops up and, you know, like, you know, behind the scenes videos from the production of everything from Stargate Atlantis, Stargate Universe, Dark Matter, and uh, whatever I happen to be working on. Awesome. Well, Thanks again, Joe. Really appreciate this. Um, in the beginning of this episode, I didn't know what it, what it meant to be a showrunner. Now I know what it means well, to be a showrunner. Hey, you know, now go off. Go off. I, I, <laughs> you know, now do it. Three years from now, I'm going to be interviewing you <laughs> and also asking you for a job. Yeah, for sure. Well, I would be indebted to it, I guess, at that yeah, point, Joe. Perfect. Awesome. Well, man, again, thank you again. Really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can have you back on soon. That would be awesome. All right, Joe, thank you again, and thank you to our listeners. Uh, we appreciate you, and we hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.